Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. With your host, Todd Martin. I, I think, though, though, we were talking earlier, I think one of the biggest things um, I've always, and I, and I think sometimes, first off, we've known each other for quite a long time, quite a long, long time, time, long time. And, uh, and there's some of the stuff that I don't, that, of your story that I don't know. Right. But I also think that, um, it's kind of cool. Um, we've known each other for quite a while, but there's a lot of backstory I don't know. And same thing that I realize sometimes with my kids that they don't know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. they see you as, you know, whatever. And, and they just think that. I had a, an epiphany the other day. My son, Matthew, um, got his first job, got his dri- driver's license. I saw his driver's license. I can't believe how much he's grown. I know, it's crazy. Right? a man now. I know, scares me. And um, and he, uh, but he got his first job too the same week. And so he's moving, he's working up just up the road at a little coffee shop. And so he's had his first day of work and whatever. And I was going to, he had to go and observe for an hour, right? And I've... You know, he's one that I think he's a pretty good worker and stuff. And so I'm kind of excited to see him get out and do something. And and he, uh, but he had to observe for like an hour because they wanted him to come up here and see if, you know, it was really something he wanted to do. They didn't want him working for him if they didn't, he didn't like the job, whatever, and don't waste the time. But come in here, sit in the shop and just watch people come and work for an hour or two and then decide if you want, really want the job. They just turned 16. Yeah. And, and I know the people who, who have the place and stuff. So it's kind of cool. And, uh, he's getting ready to leave and go, I was going to take him up there and drop him off. And, uh, and, and he goes, Hey, you've, uh, you got a beanie I can wear. And I was like, beanie, like, what are you wearing? And he had sweatpants on and then you know, I was like, dude, like get dressed. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what you're thinking. Places well, I'm not working. I was like, dude, you're not. You're not working, but you're going in there like you're dressed to impress, buddy. Yeah, what are you doing? You know, I'm like, go fix your hair and put some jeans on and whatever else. And then it hit me. This kid has never seen a father leave to go to work. Yeah. I work in the backyard. Yeah. My wife works here at the house, right? Yeah. We have never in all his life have I had a job where I leave at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. And I'll be back at five yeah. or six o'clock in the afternoon and I, you know, dress for business yeah. or what. So he's, you know, he sees me dress, but that's kind of like who I am. Like I, I leave and I, yeah, I would wear hat. the same thing. Yeah. And put a cowboy hat yeah. on. And go. So I didn't like suit and tie and whatever. I, I dress, you don't like, you know, wear dirty clothes or anything. Yeah. But he's never seen that, right? And so it's kind of wild to me that, you know, there's parts, there's some things that you just don't even think about, you know, what your kids do or don't know, you know, yeah. it's just the yeah. situation they grew up in that yeah. you kind of take it for granted. Yeah. Um. So I think it's kind of cool too that, you know, I know your kids, you know, your kids are all grown and yeah. out of the house and stuff. But And that that's fun because, you know, now they're old enough that I can, they're, they're 35 and 29, so... I can sit back and talk to them and kind of learn some of those things yeah. that I didn't even think about when they were growing up. And, yeah. you know, like we've been blessed. They're very successful and it's nice to be able to see them grown and have kids now and that sort of thing. Yeah, so seeing that part of life too, yeah. that's gotta be different. It's also. a big, big circle. <laughs> but, well, so that's gotta be kind of wild though. Like how much they, how much time did they spend around, you know, your work in your business? Well, and it was interesting, and that's part of the story. My daughter was two and a half when I went to vet school. 
So, uh, you know, I was one of the few at the time and there was others, but there wasn't a lot that had kids when they, when we were in vet school. So she got exposed and had been around the horses somewhat because we lived out in the country, uh, at that point. And that's how the breeding thing started. Um, um, but then we had moved in San Antonio by the time my son came around and so my daughter was exposed more to it than my son was. But I think after seeing both or both of them seeing me work the amount of hours that I worked, yeah, they they both went to medical school. They're both doctors. So they've definitely put in their hours, but they've gone into a field that doesn't require a lot of emergency duty and weekend stuff and and that sort of thing. They're both pediatricians. So that's got to be an eye opener. I mean, for for ones that um, that uh, come into the to the being a veterinarian, uh, 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 how many of them do you real do do you see that would come in to work for you that had an idea of how much hours, how many hours they had to put in, like oh, what the job really looked nowadays, like? Nowadays, I don't think many, and that's the problem. The 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 equine in the whole veterinary industry, but the equine especially is in a state of chaos because there's not many of these young people that want to go into equine medicine. And it's as much of a work-life balance as anything else. And, you know, they, for, for one, the debt that it takes to get through that mm. school now, yeah. and then the hours that most people are asked to work, uh, and they just don't want to do it. And I don't blame them at all. But as you well know, horses don't get sick from eight to five. Mm -mm. You know, they don't take holidays off. They don't take birthdays off and, and that sort of thing. And it is a commitment. And I feel as much of a passion as anything else. And if you don't have that passion for the horse, because to me, that goes beyond the business end of it that goes beyond the client end of it but it's you know do you have the passion to help that horse and do you have the passion to put in what it takes to do that and that's not saying that and there's a lot of practices out there that don't do emergency medicine and and they're very successful practices but there's a segment of equine medicine out there that is in real trouble because there's nobody wanting to do that anymore. Really? Very few. Hmm. And you see that <laughs> as the older veterinarians retire, there's just not those young ones coming up to fill that void. And it's not just San Antonio. It's not just Texas. It's not just the U.S. It's all over the world. Oh, really? Yeah. That they've got problems. So... <clears throat> so let's go back a bit <laughs> to, to like a long ways back. Yeah. So to, to where you got your first taste of it, like where you started out. Very, very interesting. And I have to talk about my family a little bit. My dad was grew up in West Texas and was a minor league baseball player and actually owned and managed some teams out in West Texas. And then uh, actually uh, somehow got to Dallas and actually managed a bowling alley for Mickey Mantle. Really? Yep. 
And uh, it was interesting growing up. We used to get, we had signed Mickey Mantle baseballs and baseball bats and everything that you could think of. But instead of us putting it in a collector's case, you played we it. were in the backyard <laughs> playing with the Mickey Mantle bat and the Mickey Mantle baseball and, you know, never kept anything out of it. But I digress there a little bit, but that was interesting. And um, he got in the bowling business and back in the uh, years ago, there was a company called Columbia Industries that was based in San Antonio that he helped found uh, and it ended up being the, the vice president sales manager there for many, many years. And they were the largest manufacturer of bowling balls in the world at one time. Uh, but then one day out of nowhere, he decided to buy a horse. And this was back in the 60s and probably mid 60s at that time and uh, i have no idea why he decided to buy this horse but he went out and bought a horse and i think it was kind of for my older sister and that sort of thing but one horse went to two horses two horses went to three horses and somehow and we got yeah we got into the appaloosa business and um uh, we lived, we grew up in San Antonio in Castle Hills, and then we ended up buying some property in Helotus. And at one time, we had over 100 Appaloosa horses. So it was a big operation, and we had different trainers that worked for us back then. And again, this was late 60s, early 70s, showed them all over the United States, one I can remember at least two national championships, but good horses and that sort of thing. And so that's where the start came. And, you know, I started out in showmanship, Western pleasure, reigning the whole nine yards and the Appaloosa stuff and, and really had fun. And then somehow my dad had some, and we bred horses, started breeding horses back then. And my dad had a friend that had a racehorse. And we, and back in those days, in Appaloosa days, you had to have color. So it wasn't. You had to have the black. Yeah, you, you had. Like now yeah, you don't so have to. You, you couldn't register them if you didn't. Huh? And so, of course, back then everybody was crossing quarter horses with the Appaloosas to try to get more of a quarter horse looking Appaloosa than an Appaloosa looking Appaloosa. Yeah. And we had this one mare that we had bred to Appaloosas several years in a row, and she never would throw any color. So somebody uh, talked to my dad and said, you know, this guy uh, got a racehorse over there. Why don't you breed this mare to a racehorse? And Tommy Baker was his name. And I can't think of the uh, horse that he owned now. Maybe it'll come with. But anyhow, we bred the, the mare to this racehorse, raised it, put it on the track, and ended up doing pretty doggone good so then kind of like it seemed overnight it shifted from the appaloosas <laughs> to the quarter horse racehorse yep <laughs> and so we got into that and then um we bought some land out in the lytle area southwest of san antonio and for some reason my dad decided he wanted to start a breeding farm 
And he had a friend of his named Bob Wyke here in San Antonio that used to own Bear Electric that was a big electric company back in the day. Yeah. And he had a stud named Mighty T. Um, and we ended up standing him, but that's how. So we opened the stud farm over there. And I was actually in college at the time. And so my interest had kind of gone from the Appaloosas to you know, a little bit in the racehorse deal, but then I got into rodeos and did that from the time I was in high school up through college uh, and had fair success. I had good success in high school, fair success in college, wasn't any good at the pro level. Uh, thought I was going to be, you know, thought that's all I wanted to do was, yeah. was be a rodeo cowboy, but uh it, it didn't work out, but, um, so that's how the breeding farm started back to me a little bit. So when I went to high school back during the seventies, you really didn't have to do a lot to get through high school. And I had three old, uh, two older sisters and older brother, and neither one of my parents went to college. Neither one of my brothers or sisters finished college. I had one sister that got an associate degree and became a dental hygienist. But other than that, nobody had really finished college. So by the time I came along, my dad was bound and determined get that one of you guys that through. one of us was going to get a degree. <laughs> and he didn't care what it was in, what it was doing, or anything like that. But by golly, I was going to get a four-year degree in something. Well, when I first went to college, it was with my rodeo buddies and uh, went to Sam Houston uh, for two and a half years. Majored and, in basket weaving. And well, that and <laughs> drinking quite a bit and, and that sort of thing and, and rodeo and a lot, but my grades were horrible. And like I said, in high school back then, you didn't have to uh, really take any hard courses. In fact, I never even took an algebra class in high school. Hmm. And, you know, you didn't have to back in those days. Well, then I got into college and you know, it was a little different story and I was just a poor student. So, um, went to Sam Houston for two and a half years, uh, somehow settled at Southwest Texas, which is now Texas state mm -hmm. and, um, started to concentrate a little bit there on school, at least enough to graduate. And that's kind of when the rodeo thoughts started to end. Um, but at that point, I really didn't want to go back uh, to horses. We we opened the breeding farm in 1979. My brother-in-law was actually running the breeding farm with my dad, but my dad still had a full-time job in San Antonio. What was he doing full-time? He was in with the in the bowling running the business. bowling business. Yeah, and uh, so who was doing the the so your your my brother-in-law was actually the manager and then our veterinarian which started back in the 60s was a, a a veterinarian named bernie james and he was actually yeah and i mean he was back in those times a very well respected guy his dad was actually and again this was another little digression but his dad was a major league baseball player and really? was really good, but they had a ranch down in Raymondville, I believe. And at one time, they even actually owned King, the foundation. Oh, stallion. really? 
So Dr. James came from a family of horses and that sort of thing. Uh, and he was our veterinarian for years and years and years and was the one that talked to me into going back to vet school. And I always say, if you open a dictionary and look under gentlemen, there should be a picture of Dr. James there because yeah. he was a wonderful man. Um, he was the one, I guess, that instilled the passion in horses for me. Um, but he loved horses more than he loved making money. Huh. And so he was a great veterinarian, but he wasn't a great businessman. And, yeah. you know, people would come up and say, I'll give you a dozen eggs if you look at my horse or I'll pay you next year or whatever. And he was all about the horse. And I mean, he really was hmm. and an amazing, amazing guy um, and really was a big um, and he was the one that talked to me into going back to that school. Um, but anyhow, so I graduated from Southwest Texas with a business degree. I think I just did the business degree because it was probably one of the easier ones. Um, but I didn't want to do agriculture. I'd kind of started out and that switched back and forth, thought about criminal justice at one point. But I was really thought I was done with horses at that time hmm. and uh, really had no desire to go back to uh, horses or anything like that. And I can remember there was a recruiting company that came came in my last year of college, which also it took me six years to get my first degree. I'll just throw that in there for anybody that thinks it can't be done. Uh, <laughs> But we had a company that came in and they said, oh, we've got 500 stores. And within, you know, five years, we expect to have 5,000 stores and we're recruiting people. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, sure. These guys don't know what they're talking about. Well, it was Walmart and I probably should have gone to work for them back then, uh, but I didn't. But I'll always remember that. But anyhow, the year before I graduated, I told you my brother-in-law was running the stud farm. Mm -hmm. Him and my sister got a divorce. And so it left a void there. And so I talked to my dad and I said, I'll tell you what, if you keep it open one more year, I'll come back and I'll dabble in it. And if it's something that seems interested, you know, we'll see where it goes. Uh but, you know, we had a big investment at that time. At that time, we were breeding about 100 mares a year, and it was primarily quarter horses and thoroughbred racehorses. Mm. And so when I got out of southwest Texas, I went back to the Lytle area, um, um, started running that. Our veterinarian was still Dr. James at the time. He came out and did all the veterinary work. He was also at the time doing all the polo stuff out at, the polo complex which is where Rotoma is yeah. at and i don't know what you remember about that but at one time back in the 80s it was the biggest polo complex yeah. in the united states and it was a big deal and they had i can't remember how many acres but it was a, it was fancy, a lot of acres neat, neat place it was really cool the way that they had that set up too yeah the, the seating and all that stuff yeah it was it really was, neat it just was a big mound a in the first, middle yeah first yeah. class deal and really yeah. a neat deal and dr james did stuff for them also 
Uh, so he was going back and forth between the polo stuff and and uh, uh, our place doing stuff. And actually, at that time, Dr. Ball worked for him. Oh, really? And him and Dr. Ball. And, and to tell you a little bit more about Dr. James, before Ratama started, they were the last group that actually had a group equine practice in San Antonio. And it was Dr. James. Uh, Dr. Jerry Black, Dr. Richard Mays, and Dr. Stubby Matthews, and they actually had a hospital over across from Wonderland Mall, or Mall of the Americas now, on the other side of uh, Interstate 10 there at 410. Really? So you can imagine how much it's changed <laughs> since, since then, because yeah. that's where the horse hospital wow. was. Wow. Uh, but they ended up Dr. Uh, Mays. So I've heard him. Well, too. He was Dr. Mays and area, Dr. Wasn't Black it? both. He he lives in Bernie, but they both ended up doing primarily racetrack stuff oh, okay. when they left there. And Stubby Matthews was more of a, a a mixed animal guy, more of a cow guy. And then Dr. James went out on his own, and then Dr. Ball went to work for him, and then Dr. Ball went to work for himself. And so that's kind of how it evolved. But anyhow, so I came back to the stud farm, uh, went from breeding 100 mares a year to breeding over 300 mares a year. Whoa. So, you know, it, it was fairly successful, but in the breeding business, it's always finding that hot stallion and getting somebody to send you that hot stallion and right. especially in the racehorse business because you know what you were looking for was a horse that was very successful on the racetrack they were very successful on the racetrack then their first two or three years at stud they were going gangbusters gangbusters off their race record well then when something gets to the racetrack if they don't run yeah, then the if horse you don't is produce dead. something your first year yeah, then all dead. of a sudden everything is so you're constantly looking for replacements and that sort of thing. But that's how the breeding business started. And uh, so Dr. James was still the our veterinarian out there. And as I continued to do stuff, uh, he pushed me to go back to vet school. And, of course, I had a terrible GPA and all that. Well, uh, so in that time, though... So was it, was everything because you were breeding the quarter horse? So at that time, was it all live cover or was it? What the thoroughbreds were, but they had right. started, of course, the artificial insemination in quarter horses. You couldn't do that in thoroughbreds. Right. And still today, the thoroughbreds have to be live covered. Right. So, so what year was that, that they started doing um, embryo transfer and, and AI? That well, AI, AI had been around for a while because I remember I took my first, I went to Colorado State University and took a short course in 1979. Really? Uh, on, on artificial insemination. Okay, so you said 1979. 1979 is when I took it. And, and I, you know, it'd been around for a little while. I don't really know how long, but. Well, I was wondering about that because I know that. Um, like so that was the ai was kind of started in the dairy industry wasn't it yeah yeah and, and they that had were, to have been quite a bit ahead of time yeah and they and it seemed like the cattle and and cattle again and i'm not a cattle expert from what i understand the reproduction and just all the semen and cattle uh is 
a lot easier preserved than it is in horses. And when they first started doing um, embryo transfer and freezing embryos and freezing semen and that sort of thing, that was where some of the earlier problems were. But the cattle industry, yeah, they were way ahead. Yeah. Of the of the horse industry, mm -hmm. and of course now that everything they from the uh, you know ICSI and all the other advanced reproduction procedures that they're doing now, and it's pretty amazing what they can do. Yeah, just now, to see compared to them. Well, and how much further ahead the the livestock industry period is yeah. on in reproduction versus yeah. like the human. Part. Well, and it's ahead, and same thing with sports medicine. It, it's surprising how far ahead Way sports far. medicine is in horses than yeah. it is in human medicine, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Well, everybody's um, doing the uh, the the stem cell stuff, and they're yeah. doing all all that now. And like yeah. we were doing that with horses yeah. twenty years, and I mean the, the PRP ago. and all that yeah. stuff is something that they're just now starting to do. It's like it's revolutionized. And everybody's humans. having to and, go you know, all over the all, world. All the ads about QT kinetics now, which is basically PRP, <laughs> and the horse industry's been doing that for several years. Now, well, so. Quite a few. Yeah. Like we've been doing that. I don't know. I think we did. You, we did a couple of horses 10, 15 years ago. Well, I don't think it's been that long, but, uh, uh on the PRP. Yeah. And I mean, the joint injections we have, but the sure. PRP, I don't know. I'd hate to guess, but it's, it's really took off in the last it's few crazy. years and a lot of other. Yeah. I don't think people really realize that how much more, yeah. how much further, because, you know, when you're doing horses and you got folks that got money and they don't want to lose one or they yeah. don't want to, then it's not about worried about like, you know, you know, we got to wait till it's FDA approved yeah. or whatever yeah. else we can, you know, yeah. we can be a little bit more liberal with. Yeah. You know, and that's out. the thing. I mean, yeah. we don't have as strict of rules as, as the human stuff does. And there's other reason too, where we were using, cortisone and horses and we have been using that for years and years and years right. and even the hyaluronic acid you know the hyaluronic acid is relatively new to human sports medicine yeah as far as on an everyday basis but the thing with cortisone is in humans that live to be 80 years old if you start putting cortisone in people's knees when they're 20 and that sort of thing the cortisone also eats up the cartilage so if you've got a horse that uses lives 20 years versus human that lives 80 years yeah. you know you can be a lot more aggressive with your treatment and that sort of thing so i never thought yeah. about that part of it too that you have you know a lot yeah because they won't years. you know if a 20 year old goes in and has a bad knee mm. they might now put some acid in there but from what i understand putting cortisone in somebody that young is like taboo unless it's just absolutely huh. necessary so uh, but, you know, again, the, the human medicine overall is so far more advanced. Than... Yeah. So when you when you came back to it and before you went off to vet school, yeah. how 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 much hands on experience had you had in? Well, I'd gotten quite a bit from working <laughs> at the stud farm. For you weren't one, just sitting around there managing. Well, in front of the Dr. Office. James was a very good teacher, but I was also a very inquisitive student yeah. and you know wanted to learn more wanted to do more wanted to see more and that sort of thing and so when i finally decided i was going to go back to vet school i had no of the pre no prerequisites and uh, a terrible gpa 
So well, I how went, much time did you had you spent like working on the farm before? In seven years. Seven years. Yeah. So you had seven years hands on working under a vet. Yeah. Doing yeah. doing it on a yeah. Every... So I was twenty nine when I went back to vet school. So I was I was quite a bit older than most students. There was some other people. So what was your age. so what was your like what were your were you actually palpating mares and and doing all of that? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, again, um, you know, if a horse was colicking and needed banamine, yeah. you know, foaling out mares, uh, you know, had, and, and, and just being exposed to a lot. And, and I can remember, and I can't remember who the veterinarian was, but I had a friend of mine that had a foal barn and he'd called the he'd called the veterinarian something was wrong with the foal and then he called me so I drove out there and I remember the veterinarian say well Mike you've got more experience in this than me what would you do and I thought well you know why am I not at least trying to go back to vet school <laughs> uh, so then you know I started taking night classes and I mean it was rough and like I said I'd never taken algebra in high school, I had to take business calculus when I got my business degree, mm -hmm. but my prerequisites were regular calculus, physics, uh, biochemistry, organic chemistry, and it was... You had to get smart It fast. was a challenge, and, <laughs> and my father-in-law uh, actually tutored me in physics, and really? uh, yeah, so I had a lot of help, and... I have to also mention my wife in there. Uh, she was a pretty good driving force and yeah. a pretty good crutch to lean on. And uh, so when we finally made that decision and we and we moved up there, uh, it was different because we had a two and a half year old child. Yeah. Uh, we lived in a trailer house for four years. Uh, and again, you know, I went from being a mediocre student to go into vet school with a bunch of excellent students and very smart people. And the first semester I almost flunked out. It was really very tough. I mean, you took 21 hours of very tough classes and small animal anatomy was in that first year. Large animal anatomy was the second semester. Small animal anatomy was the first semester. And it was, it was tough. And I, I I came this close to getting kicked out of vet school. Did you feel like you had like a lot of support from from the professors, being that you they saw you? Yeah, and they see you that's a different? whole other story there. But yes, we we had a great, and I wasn't the only one uh, that struggled that first semester too. But yeah, we had great support from. Uh, uh, from the faculty and that sort of thing so i've got no no yeah they they did a great job That's and i had great support from the veterinarian you know there was one and and this kind of leads into how i got into vet school you know when we started the breeding farm and again back in those days there wasn't near as many breeding farms as there was now and especially here in texas um uh, but there was a big breeding farm in Elgin, Texas called Southwest Stallion Station. Yeah. And there is a veterinarian up there, Dr. Charles Graham, who actually started Elgin Veterinary Hospital and started Southwest Stallion Station. 
and he knew my dad from the racehorse business. And if it hadn't been for him, uh, also Dr. Robert Lewis at Elgin, also Dr. Tommy Hayes at Elgin, I probably never would have made it in Tibet school. Uh, but for those of you that don't know Dr. Graham, he's a very outspoken guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think we went to, uh, so when, when I was going to college at, uh, at Texas state mm -hmm. or which was Southwest Texas mm -hmm. when I went, um, and we went out there, we got to do a tour and we went out there and, and, and he, Dr. Graham was He's a very colorful, colorful <laughs> he was one that I didn't forget character. <laughs> and, you know, you, when you meet him, he either loves you or hates you somehow. He liked me and, and I, I still talk to him today and had did a lot. Everybody at Elgin did a lot for my career, but I can remember when I was struggling up there and I just walked into my wonderful little mobile home and didn't have cell phones back then. And yeah. the phone rang, the landline rang and my wife answered it and she said, it's Dr. Graham. And I thought, oh crap, I don't want to pick that phone up and I picked that phone up and he lit into me and uh you know here you're having trouble you need to get your stuff together it wasn't quite the words he was a little using. more colorful a little more <laughs> colorful but you know when he went to vet school he only made one b and he worked three jobs and on and on and on <laughs> walked up hill and both my, yeah and, and if my wife wasn't being supportive send her back to san antonio and just on and on and on and then <laughs> the phone goes dead so that motivated me a little bit more to uh to do well but uh you know we ended up being uh good friends he loves my wife uh and that sort of thing so but all of them you know to me back in those days is you know dr james dr ball uh dr black and dr mays all those kind of laid the foundation for me once you know i got into vet school uh the guys at elgin were instrumental in my career and i worked up there for a couple of summers when i first went to vet school and uh somehow back during the breeding farm days i loved breeding when i went to vet school i thought that's all i was going to do was come back and breed horses but i also got very interested in colics at the time because broodmare seemed to colic more than other type of horses and having a lot of broodmares mm. in strange places under stress of being around strange horses you know you had a lot of colics and you know i they would get treated on the farm and then they would get shipped to elgin and i thought well that's something that you know one of these days if i get through vet school that you know colics was one of the one of the things that that interested me i wouldn't have thought about that because yeah i guess you do have with the with the brood mares they're yeah. getting moved around a little yeah. bit more to changing yeah. their feed changing yeah. their atmosphere Everything. all kinds of yeah. things yeah. happen so, that no, normally happen to them on a regular basis yeah so huh. you know that was one of the early things so really when i went to vet school um uh reproduction and you know colics I really didn't think about doing colic surgery at that time, but colics. But when I was at Elgin and when I got to work at Elgin, I got exposed to more surgery and uh, there. And it was really interesting. You know, I thought was interesting, but 
you know, I look back on those days, one of my big jobs when I was in vet school, uh, they just passed paramutual or, or just passed, I guess it passed paramutual at that time. And my wife actually got a job at the drug lab in College Station. Um, and I got a job there collecting urine from horses. So one of my uh, wonderful jobs was I would go out and I would give horses different drugs, nothing that hurt them, but they would use whether it was banamine or bute or whatever. And then I would have to sit there and I would sit there and study. And whenever the horse peed, I would collect the pee, pour it in a jar, take it back to the drug lab. And uh, run a sample, see how much. It and had, then they it? would, you know, run the sample and have samples to compare stuff to. Huh. And it wasn't a very glamorous job. It wasn't a very high paying job, but it actually opened up some doors for me that I I'll get to here in, in a little bit, but um, so I had the, you know, the racehorse experience. I knew a lot of people in the racehorse business um, got through vet school, which again, I was very lucky. I had some very good classmates that, that helped me study and, and actually taught me how to study. And after that first semester, uh, it really didn't seem that bad at all after you kind of learned how to study and what That's they wanted. Like, I think, um, huh. You know, one thing that I, you know, my mom and dad, I came from a family that, you know, didn't have, didn't do, didn't have college, yeah. no college education. And I think, um, so I don't think that I'm like a knuckle dragon dingling, but, um, but I also don't think <laughs> I don't think my grades reflected my intelligence level either. And I think a big part of that was not that I couldn't comprehend, but I would, had no idea on how to study. Well, and I think that's I had no a big skills deal. in that area. If, if I had to tell a young person something, it's, you know, don't limit yourself because, you know, and I'm like you, I don't think I'm a knuckle dragger, but you know, I didn't know how to study. And I think if you apply yourself and learn that, I, I think you can do anybody, anything. And I think that's anybody, if they want to, I think they can. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I had a, a classmate at A&M in vet school who, um, and I, I will tell you his name's Dr. Lane Easter. He's got a practice up, uh, in North Texas, and he's an equine surgeon. Uh, uh, and I think he went to, I think he went to Tarleton to undergraduate. I'm, I'm not even sure, but anyhow, the first year he applied to vet school three times before he got in. I applied twice before I got in, but they told him to not even apply the third time that he would never really? make it. Um, the year that he got in, he applied to medical school, got accepted there, and got accepted to A&M. He's one of the smartest people I've ever been, been around, graduated very, very high in our class, uh, went back uh, and did a residency at a surgery residency at A&M, which they don't very seldom take people from the university back, but a very intelligent guy. So again, here's a guy, if he would have given up, what held him back, though, whenever to, to the process? I, 
I'm not sure. And and I think back then you had to take the MCAT, uh, which nowadays to get into medical school or vet school, you take the GRE. I don't know where that was at. I'm sure probably his grades weren't as good. Hmm. And, you know, back in those days and even still, it's a lot of it's GPA. And yeah. that's one of the first things they look at. And I just don't think he had as high a GPA as maybe some of them. But, you know, I see that. Um, <clears throat> I wonder if that isn't like something that that really helps whenever like for your kids, you know, coming up from coming from a, a, a dad who's, you know, got, you know, some experience through college and now has learned how to study. And and you can pass that along to your kids and and help them get through that process. I see the same thing in like athletics, too. Yeah. So you see most of the you know, first kid yeah not and then the second or third yeah and when you have somebody yeah well and you you have it's not because they're necessarily like some greater athletic ability maybe a little bit above average or whatever but you you stuck it out longer than the other ones yeah you you realize that you know it it you fail a couple of times and you don't go and hang it up and go you can't you know like understanding that just because you don't make it in the first time doesn't mean you can't make it in and i think i see that too and i think those first kids maybe lay the foundation a little bit more right to where the later ones say well you know he got close or she got close maybe i can get further and i know that's the way it is in 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 my family my uh, of course we had our daughter before i went to vet school and then we didn't have any kids until after vet school so our, our kids are actually seven years apart but my daughter from very very young wanted to go into human medicine and you know, I couldn't help her with that. I mean, I, I knew that she had to have good grades and, and right. she was a lot better student than I was and, and did very well. Um, but she was kind of the trailblazer in our family. And, you know, I think she laid a great foundation for my son as far as how to maneuver, how to get into medical school, how to maneuver medical school and it's interesting she was a chief resident and now he's just got um um offered the chief resident he's still in his residency so next year he'll be a chief resident but everything they've done even though they're seven years apart he has been very competitive with what she has done yeah and uh well, i wonder if that part of that isn't too just seeing that it's it's obtainable like you know i think some you know like you see something and it, whether it's like winning a horse show or if it's you know being chief resident that, yeah that you know like well that's somebody else that's that's a different like it's almost like we put a lot of the limitations on ourselves a lot of times well right? and i think so and i know even my son you know talking to him about his residency you know it didn't sound like he was kind of skating along my daughter she was driven i knew i never had any doubts on her and i never had any doubts on my son but it was just he just has a little bit different personality than she did and you know he walked in one day and he said oh by the way i got nominated for chief resident and i'm going (laughs) seems like you're about to flunk out of medical school and you're telling me you just got nominated for this so, you know, I've been blessed with kids, but I also have to credit my wife because I wasn't around a lot. And and I think she was a tremendous influence on them, too. So I I credit my wife and my daughter and my son is just well, the genetics um, on the 
good the genetics. Female side, and, and, female and good. Side, her really. dad was a he worked at Southwest Research, not in wow. the, not in the baboon division, right? But in the mechanical, and, and, and they have a a whole nother division that works on a lot of different things. But he worked on uh, engines, really, and actually at the time i think he worked there had more patents than really? anybody else there and i can't remember how many patents 17 patents 19 patents wow but he was a mathematical genius which is why i chose him to tutor me <laughs> uh <laughs> or but, why he decided to even a, you a lot help. of parts and you know and it's like you said i think on my side of the family i think there was a lot of intelligence mm -hmm. there just wasn't a lot of education because you That's... know my dad was very successful in what he did too. yeah so, you know I, I see the same thing in like my father like my dad is um my dad is one of those guys that um like there's nothing that I've ever like I've 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 tons of interests like way too many interests right, and my dad knows like he's one of those really really smart guys and like you start talking to him about guns and like he knows you know yeah. all about doing guns and you yeah. talking about cars and he, he knows all about building cars yeah. and you know redoing an engine yeah one week one summer I took you know an engine out of my vet and put it in a fifty seven Chevy and it, you know we just on the weekend that's what we did and swept swapped engines out yeah. and you're like what yeah you know and then he you know then and my dad was one of my dad was one of the first um computer repairmen wow he worked for the national cash register wow and um and he started out i remember when he coming home um with purple thumbs because he replaced the ink <laughs> in the stuff. cash register yeah. right yeah. and um and ended up being going uh to for I guess they just recruited guys because, you know, like nobody had any experience in any of it. Right. And so when they first started having computer repairmen where the computers were like the size of a room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, well, they, they didn't just, you know, pull a board out and replace it. Yeah. They actually soldered it all back yeah. together. Right. Yeah. And so that's what his job was, was to do all that. So he had all, you know, he was one of the first computer repairmen in, in, uh, I think he started working for them in like 1971. Yeah. And, and then worked all the way through, you know, until he retired, you know, wow. 33 years later kind yeah. of deal. So he, but he was just, you know, high school education and, you know, was but like that a, common sense and right. being able to do a lot of things ain't too common. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 And that I think lays a very good foundation for, for yeah. people. Yeah. So that's kind of the same deal. Like, and, and that's intriguing about your dad. You're like, you know, run a bowling, run yeah. a bowling, yeah. leg, you know, deal. Yeah. But, and I mean, he could do a lot of different a lot of different things and did a lot of different things in his career you know, and didn't was, hold back like was not fearful of no like, trying those things no yeah. and you know i won't say that he was uh he definitely had the entrepreneur yeah. spirit but not as much I, again and i look back and i think he could have done more possibly and you know, that again was kind of the driving factor for me is once I started and once I started getting things, I always thought, well, I can do more and there's more that I can do. And, and business didn't scare me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always dreamed the big ideas and then my wife kind of reeled you back in. <laughs> well, no, she was left you know, with the, the, the paper doing it. Of it as far as, you know, doing opening the corporations, running, you know, doing all the books, doing all the corporate minutes, doing all that sort yeah. of thing. And I could come up with the ideas, but 
you know, there was a lot more to the idea than that. But, um, but I got through vet school, went back to the breeding farm, thought that's all I ever wanted to do and went back and we were doing that. I started a little ambulatory practice out of the breeding farm. The breeding farm was in a very, wasn't on a main road at all. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of traffic other than the clients coming to breed mares. And so I started a little ambulatory practice out of there and I was even yeah. doing some dogs and cats and, uh, work and even, uh, ultrasounded boar goats had just come in and I would did some, and I, and I really? always, I always had a little bit of interest in, in reproduce or ultrasound. And I remember when we got our first ultrasound, when we started the breeding farm. Yeah it was all by palpation. There was no ultrasound. And again, that was another thing that Dr. James was very, very good at. And I can remember fighting with him about us wanting to buy the first ultrasound because he was a little bit old school and that sort of thing and, yeah. and that sort of thing. But we got one and, and had one before I went to vet school and got out, but even huh. ultrasounded some ostriches, which that's a whole nother. That was a whole story. That's a whole but, ostrich industry. Yeah, a whole different yeah, deal. And that was when it was at a peak. And, well, so when, when that happened, um, oddly enough, I was, uh, I was in college and was, um, worked at exotic game ranch, uh, sales. Really? Yeah. So one of the things that I did when I was in college was I went and took one winter and, uh, took a class, of course, on, um, being an auctioneer. Wow. And, and I was handling all the exotics. So we would go and we'd work at the exotic sales and work, uh, the different type of horn stock coming in and work with oh, a bunch wow. of guys from Africa. Uh, Matter of fact, the first boar goat what was his name, um, was sold, um, it imported was sold at uh, Kafaru in um up and land passes. Oh wow. And uh and he went for something just absolutely wow. insane, like fifty thousand wow. dollars, something nuts, right? Wow. And everybody and we're all sitting back going, What kind of scam is this? You know, and that and then it went boom when they started reproducing. I mean, wow. you know, it started the whole industry. Yeah. And um, and those those guys, I that's I worked those sales was wow. was working those. But one of the things that was really cool is when I was there at uh Southwest Texas, we started having the ultrasound and it was starting to be used. And they used it to, and I helped out on, I think it was a white ranch. They let us use the, on their, on their cattle yeah, to measure, um, kidney pelvic heart fat. Huh. So on what they, what they were using it for is to measure the, the kidney pelvic heart fat and being able to tell without having to butcher the livestock, yeah. what they were reproducing. So yeah. you could actually really much quicker know which ones to breed to Jeez, and which, which, which bulls were, yeah, which bulls were reproducing yeah. the higher yield yeah. and all that kind of stuff without having to yeah. butcher them all to find out. Yeah. And, and that way your heifers, your replacement, you could pick your replacement heifers a lot faster. Yeah. And, um, and so we, you know, we got to do that, yeah. I, and, but that was one of the first, we like, they're just trying to it was really kind of cool because they were, they had the ultrasound. Now they're trying to find different ways to use it in so many different, you know, different instances. Yeah. And that was one of them that, you know, that we did when we were college. It was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ultrasound's great. And I liked it and it's gone. I mean, all the imaging now, so much more advanced than it was mm -hmm. back then, but we started that. And then I started a little ambulatory practice and I'm trying to remember, I graduated from vet school in 93 I was 33 
then. So again, I was a very, very late bloomer when it came to that. But I thought all I was going to do was reproduction and stay out there and do the breeding farm. And I actually hired another veterinarian uh, at the time, Dr. Louis Arguez. And he's got Alamo area out in Casterville, which we bought that together. Uh, I'll get into that in just a minute. So I hired him and I, I can't remember the exact timeline, but I got out of vet school. Of course, I had some debt in vet school. Uh, you know, the, the, the stud farm was all the money I was making. I'd started this ambulatory deal I decided to hire Louie and there was this vet clinic. And back then it was called Tejas Animal Hospital and it was right on Highway 90 in Castorville. And I used to drive past there and I'd think, God, wouldn't it be neat to have that road frontage and, you know, to have the traffic packed there and all that. But, you know, I thought, well, that's never going to happen. Well, lo and behold, the veterinarian that owned that place got killed in a freak accident. He was working cattle and his horse ran under a tree branch, tree branch hit him in the head and killed it. Holy cow. And um, so at some point after that, I went to the lawyer. I knew the lawyer that was handling that. And I said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen over there, but you know, if y'all want to sell it, I would be interested in buying it. And of course, I didn't really have anything to buy it with, but I, again, <laughs> I, I thought my good looks well, and... I thought I would throw my hat in the ring and, and I knew the banker in the little town of Lacoste. And I knew the guy that ran the feed mill in the little town of Lacoste who were also very uh, good friends and mentors to me also. Uh, so how, along... much, how much do you think that that, so there's plenty of guys that go off to vet school. And yeah. there's plenty of guys that in, in they come out of that and can play it safe or work for somebody else and work out of another clinic or whatever else. But, and there's few that go and have their own facilities, but yeah. like, how much do you think of that, that entrepreneurial spirit of like, you know, oh, I, you know, just go out there and do it. Do you think you got from your dad? Oh, I think I got a lot of that from my dad and a lot of that from the people that I hung around with, but I was very hard-headed too and i always had very high expectations and i had expectations of uh on myself but i also have very high expectations for everybody around me yeah and i think some of that must have rubbed off on my kids and if you talk to past employees they'll tell you that <laughs> they'll tell you about my high <laughs> expectations uh, I've heard a few stories. You've heard a few stories, and and uh, and 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 that's not un untrue, and and I'll be the first to ad admit that. But anyhow, so you know, I was mulling around that, and then about the same time, Doctor Hayes from Elgin called me and said, "Well, you know, Paramutual's passed. Uh, they're going to build a racetrack in oh, yeah. San Antonio." We really don't want anybody to build a surgical facility uh, down there since we're an hour and a half away. So we're thinking of opening up some type of little surgical facility down there. And Dr. James is going to be a part of it. Would you want to be a part of it? Hmm. And I thought, yeah, that sounds 
interesting. I said, but you know, I'm a stud farm guy, but I said, you know, I would like to have a place to maybe be able to do a cryptorchid surgery or something like that. And, and, uh, I said, well, what are you thinking? And he said, well, we're looking for somebody to do like 20%. And I said, ah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring there. And, uh, so you would be like a, a, a 20% ownership in it. Well, you want to bring 20% of your business. No, no, over? I would be a 20% owner in yeah. the land and buildings because okay. at this point it was not a practice. Now, Dr. James's practice was across the way because it was right next to the polo fields at the time. Right. And so then he would move over there and, um, uh, he had a son that had just graduated from vet school too. Huh. And then Elgin wanted to be a part of it. And so we bought this building, which was part of the old polo complex because polo had slowed down quite a bit then. Uh, and the main guy that had started all that had left and, and uh, Dr. James and his son had a, a little practice over there. And so we all started going over there and people would come down from Elgin. I would go over there on the weekend and we would build fence. We would weld, we would do whatever really neat thing. Cause everybody pitched in, mm. uh, Joe Strauss sold us. He had bought that originally that the polo center was where the racetrack was going to be. Yeah. And then they got access to that land over by interstate 35. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, they ended up being there. Can I go get a drink? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> the water hose is giving me hang up. It did. It really sucked. It really sucked. So anyhow, so we started building this place. And uh, uh, in the meantime, Dr. James's son, who was kind of originally supposed to run the place decided he didn't want to be a veterinarian anymore really and was going to law school wow. so went to law school so that was kind of a void because at that point dr james was older and you know he wasn't wanting to build clientele he wasn't wanting to yeah manage anything he was just kind of wanting to do his own deal and so then we have this facility and really not a lot going on there huh. and this was back in 1995 so anyhow i'm out at the breeding farm uh, dr arguez is working for me out there um, um Dr. Hayes has called me, and I think this was the order. Dr. Hayes called me, asked me if I wanted to be a partner in that. I said yes. So we decided we didn't really like the school district out there. So we decided we were going to move into San Antonio. Oh, yeah. Have our kids in a better school district. And it was kind of be in between the breeding farm and Rotama. So it, you know, I could kind of go back and forth and make it a little bit easier. And, uh, so, you know, I still got student loans. I bought into this Take more and more debt. I just bought a house in San Antonio <laughs> and it's a Monday and the lawyers from the animal clinic in Casterville call. Mm. 
and they said, we're having a sealed bid auction on Friday. If you're interested in the animal hospital, you need to put a bid in by Friday. And I thought, oh, my, oh God, my God, what am I going to do? And uh, so I went and talked to Louie and I said, Louie, here's the deal. I said, you know, I, we, we, I can't afford it by myself. And I said, but I think this would be a good opportunity for both of us. And I think we ought to put a bid in for this place. And uh, so he said, yeah, I'm in. And I said, great. So we put a bid in and guess what? You had the winning bid. We had the winning bid. <laughs> we had more debt. <laughs> well, and, and not only that, but it's more of a, it's not really an equine hospital. It's more of a dog, cat, mixed animal hospital. And me and Louie both do horses. Equine. Oh, wow. And so we're kind of going, well, you know, what are we going to do now? But we changed the name. It was Tejas. Now it's at Animal uh, Alamo Area Vet Hospital. And he said, well, you know, my fiance, she's fixing to get out of vet school and and uh, she wants to do small animals. Maybe we should hire her. And I said, that sounds like a great idea to me. <laughs> she's hired. Yeah, she's hired. That's exactly right. So then not only was the greater debt, but we had three hospitals wow. and it was me and Louie. So, you know, we were on call seven days a week, 24 hours Not a day. on call. Yeah, yeah, and it would never fail. I would get over to Rotama, and I'd have to go back to the stud farm, and he primarily stayed out there, so it was more me and him and going out to Alamo area and that sort of thing, but it was, uh, it was a lot, and my wife, who was the practice manager of all three, cool. it was kind of a lot for her. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately... We, and then at the same time, my dad came along and said, I don't want to do the uh, stud farm anymore. If you want to lease it from me, I'll lease it to you. But if not, we're going to shut it down. Well, at that point, that was where the majority of the money was coming from because oh. Rotama wasn't making any money. Alamo area at that point wasn't making any money. So then I had to lease it from him. So needless to say, I was motivated to work because by that time we had two small kids. And so I didn't have any choice. And, and, you know, I was, we were all running around like maniacs trying to decide what to do. But then, you know, Louie came to me and said, well, this was kind of weird because you're my boss, but I'm also your partner. Uh, you know, what do you want, what do you want to do about this? And we, Gene and I sat down and had a big talk and we said, you know, probably our future is at Rotama. Let's move over there full time. We shut the stud farm down and I sold uh, my half of Alamo area to Dr. Arguez. And he's been there ever since. And it's been a great place for him and his is the wife. Is girl still there? Is it ended up being... His fiance ended up being his wife. Yeah, yeah, partner. yeah. I and mean, they've got oh, that's cool. grown kids now and all that. So, I mean, <laughs> it worked out. It couldn't have worked out better. any better for, uh. for everybody. So then I moved to Rotama. And uh, did the breeding business follow you out to Rotama? 
somewhat. I mean, nothing like we were doing because right. at Ratama we had two acres. So, you know, it was going from 200 acres to two acres. So, yeah. you know, it was a whole different ball game. But that's when I got more involved in the colics and stuff. And really the lameness deal, I never... And in in over the years, I did a lot of it, but that was not my first love or anything. It was reproduction and then the colics. And, and so, you know, when I closed everything down, Dr. Hayes had asked me if I would move over there full time. And I said, yes, I would. So I moved over there uh, and that sort of thing. And as time went on, uh, Dr. James retired. That's a whole nother story there. But yeah, you know, all I can say about that is he was a huge mentor and a huge uh, impact on my life and my veterinary career. And I, I think a lot of him, he has passed away since then. His son has returned to veterinary medicine really now and is doing works for this, for the state, uh, uh, doing veterinary stuff, but uh, very interesting, a very good guy too. Uh, but anyhow, so I moved over there and when we first opened up, you know, it was primarily the racehorse. They'd opened Rotama. Rotama was huge when it first opened up. Yeah, that was a big They had a quarter horse meet that was about six months out of the year, and they had a thoroughbred meet that was about six months out of the year. And during the quarter horse meet, Dr. Hayes from Elgin would come down once a week and see horses and do arthroscopic surgery and that sort of thing. And then during the thoroughbred meet, Dr. Lewis would come down and the same thing would look at horses and do surgery and that sort of thing. So that's where, you know, and I kind of teched and learned and, and all that from, from them. And that's, you know, where they had a great influence on me. But then, you know, at that point I had a place to do colic surgeries. Yeah. Well, that had to have been really beneficial too, to have that kind of like that much, um, that much experience at your fingertip to be working oh, with. I mean, like, yeah. to be able to learn that. Yeah. That and I mean, that to me was years ahead of, of my education and, and, and with anything. And, you know, to this day, I can still call Dr. Graham, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Hayes, Dr. Lewis, all of them, whether it's advice on business or advice on veterinary stuff. I mean, they, they have been very, very, supportive of me so i can't say enough but actually the first when we first started doing colic surgery over there and again it was me and louis originally yeah and um because even though well and i guess that was before i sold out to him uh we would we would do colic surgeries over there but the, the first colic surgery i did was actually on a horse of my dad's and she was like 10 months pregnant and operated on her, ended up having to do a C-section. Surgery took probably four and a half hours. Uh, she was in recovery for like 10 hours. <laughs> and I thought, you know, she's going to die and all that. But she lived and wow. did fine and had more babies and all that but really that was probably the worst thing that could have happened to me because then i thought well heck i can mm, do, I this, do this you know yeah and well, so how so that would how 
Um, I'm just curious, like who, who else had that much experience in colic surgery at the time? Was that, was that well, a, Elgin or A&M back then was kind of the only place, the only place that, because most places wouldn't have a surgery. Well, surgery facility, there just so. wasn't a lot, you know, and I think, it, you know, Brazos Valley was definitely around at the time, but you know, again, they were a lot further away right. but as far as South Texas. I mean, like you'd be lucky to get it to AM before. Exactly. Yeah. So and, they're, and if they did surgery, it was like pretty advanced by the time that they got yeah, to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and so, you know, I was able to fill a little niche there. And, and originally when I started doing colic surgeries and people will probably knock me for this, but we, cause you know, again, the stud farm at that point, and this was probably 95, 96, um, but we would, somebody would call and say they have a colic or something like that. Mm -hmm. We would take it over to Rotama. We would do surgery on it at Rotama. But then when it woke up, we would put it in a trailer and do all the aftercare on it at the stud farm because we weren't at Rotama full time at that point. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's how all that started. And then 97 is when I moved over there full time. And I guess the rest is history and you know it spread out from just doing the the racehorse stuff to you know as the racehorse business kind of declined somewhat to you know all aspects of 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 the of the equine business and you know whether it's horses your horses dressage hunter jumpers whatever we kind of branched out and you know of course over the years had a lot of different veterinarians that work there. Uh, Dr. Huffman came in 1999 and was certainly a huge boost for the practice because he had such a work ethic and that sort of thing. And yeah, that had to have been nice to have <clears throat> somebody come in with that kind of work ethic too. Well, yeah. and it was, and I mean, he really was and always has been a very, very, very hard uh, worker. And I, you know, and I can remember when he, uh, you know, so I'd spent six years pretty much being on call forever. <laughs> and yeah. Louie also, I have to give him credit too, because he helped a lot. But when Huffman got there, it was kind of like, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something comes in uh, and, you know, he was a quick learner too and picked everything up, ended up being a great veterinarian. And we had a lot of great veterinarians there over the years but you know it, it was a different lifestyle just because you know it was 24 7 it was an emergency hospital and you know some people like that a lot of people don't like that you know some employees like that some employees didn't like that that, uh, well, that had to have been a life change no matter what even if you had <clears throat> somewhat of an idea of of veterinary medicine to be that on call being the only one in the in the you know huge amount of area that's gonna that's actually is a surgical facility for it yeah like i mean you and get it was great you get me, you mean, get the emergency but you get everybody else's emergency too. Yeah, yeah yeah and and i mean i loved it and i mean back when i first started doing colic surgery i mean we were doing 60 or 70 maybe one year, 80 colic surgeries a year. Wow. And, you know, by the time I retired, it has slowed down to where we were doing between 30 and 40. And I have no idea what they're doing over there now, but you know, it, it was the employees 
uh, you know, I've always already told you, Dr. James, Dr. Graham, Dr. Hayes, Dr. Lewis, uh, my wife, uh, who's been a rock through all this, and I couldn't ask for a better business partner. You know, we opened a small animal hospital too, and she ran that. I had nothing to do with that. That was all her, and she did a tremendous job with that. But again, it was about the people, the veterinarians. We had some very good veterinarians. We had a lot of good people that worked for us. It Megan, takes a lot. It, well, uh, yeah, you know, worked Megan, there. She was eighteen years, something forever. like that. She did a great job, and and uh, yeah, she's you know practically yeah. And I mean that grunting. was during the the Gosh. big growth factor. But you know, I was lucky. I had people like my wife. Had people like her. Had people like Doctor Huffman. And, you know, a lot of other very good veterinarians that worked there over the years and, you know, for different reasons. And probably some of those reasons were me, <laughs> but didn't didn't have, uh, you know, the same expectations. I talked to one guy that used to work there and we were talking and he said, you know, you and Dr. Huffman live to work and I preferred to work to live. <laughs> and, you know, looking back on things. Would I have done things differently? Probably so. Or did, did I make mistakes? Did I burn bridges? Are there people that, uh, you know, if I would have done things different, could they have stayed and, and been good contributors and that sort of thing? Yeah. But then I also think, you know, and it wasn't my idea to be the manager. I just kind of got pick into that and I did have you know a little bit of a business background from my dad from the stud farm from Alamo area uh and that sort of thing I also uh when I got out I was lucky enough to get into a veterinary study group really and uh very interesting thing um uh it was in they apparently this started out in the automotive industry and they decided, and it was in California, that they would, some of these big car dealerships would get together and say, what problems are you having? And gosh, those are the same problems I'm having. Wow. And then some car dealer out there was talking to his veterinarian and his veterinarian said, wow, that's a great idea. So they started them in small animal. And the one I was in, it was veterinary study groups and, and, and uh, the group I was in was called VMG7. Um, but it was 20 practices across the U.S. is what it originally started as. And then we had a, uh, a mentor and facilitator in the group that was a DVM CPA. And we met wow. twice a year. And each year the meeting was uh, on a different topic. And that might be health insurance that might be um, um what a benefit on something like that yeah. to be able to like just brainstorm with yeah. other people yeah i have a guy that i i um met through um through jujitsu and he um he was part of uh i was thought it was such a really cool thing to do but he was part of a young entrepreneurial uh, young entrepreneurs group yeah and uh, and he he started um, Rainbow uh, Playscapes, huh. and, uh, and turned it international. Like yeah. he was just a kid that you know 
made swing sets. Yeah. And 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 one of the other guys that was on that was in his group of young entrepreneurs was Graham Weston, who mm-hmm. started uh, Rackspace. Yeah. I mean, like, could you imagine? Just, yeah. I mean, and those those guys. There was an there was another girl that I can't remember. I forget what her name was, but she was really something else in San Antonio and uh, uh, the uh, marketing industry. Oh, what is her name? She actually, I gave her a couple lessons riding on horses and stuff. But, um, but yeah, that to be to to have that to kind of bounce ideas off yeah. of and see, and, you know, and that was the thing. Anytime you could call somebody, you That's could huge. email the group. You know, uh, the the DVM CPA, you know, had all the answers for tax stuff, yeah. you know, how to do things. God, Everything was on, on the up and up, and it was a great group. And when I sold out, I had to retire from that. But we had a lot of really good people and, and people that went very far. And there was two veterinarians in that group that ended up being president of our national equine association, the American association of equine practitioners. So it was a very good group of people still very close to all of them. And Gene and I go and crash meetings still and that sort (laughs) of thing and have a good time. But, you know, because of the group and that, it also allowed me to do some organized veterinary medicine and, um, you know, I was in, involved in the AAP somewhat. I was on their business committee. Uh, there's a Texas Equine Veterinary Association. Uh, I was president of that group. They uh, have a foundation arm. I was president of the foundation. I'm still an advisor on that. Great group of people. Again, gave me the ability to meet a lot of other veterinarians in Texas that I would have never had the opportunity to meet mm. without being in that group. Uh, I was on the uh, uh, Texas Racing Commission for about six years, which regulated paramutual racing. Uh, learned a lot about <laughs> government. <laughs> yeah. There for for better or worse, but again, the the veterinary career has been very very good to me and you know gene and i both look back and laugh and and uh you know think of where we came from and where we were able to get to but you know it wasn't because we were the smartest it was because we worked hard it was because we persevered it was because we had a lot of good people that surrounded us and a lot of good mentors. And if I had to tell anybody young, and especially a veterinarian, is I would find mentors, I would find a good accountant, I would find a good lawyer, and all that can save you so much time and headache because yeah. at some point in your career, you're going to need all of those. And, you know, again, and, and, you know, I, I look at friends of mine, I, I'm a big, and I think you are too. I like to look at motivational stuff and, yeah. and read motivational stuff. So I'm, I'm really big on, on, on that sort of thing, but I have a lot of friends that are business owners, you know, of course, a ton of veterinarians, but just a lot of other business owners that have helped me through the years. And, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of the old saying that uh and you hear it said a lot now show me your friends and i'll show you your future and Mm. i think with any young person 
they need to look around and see who they're what you who you're hanging who out you're with. hanging out with and you know and and i think that's very true and you know try to surround yourself with good people smart people and people that are going somewhere yeah and goals that, and ideas of where they're going to be yeah i i uh i think you know being around that i think that's like part of one of the big deals i enjoy doing this is because that you start to see and i think it's really important i really want my kids to see is that you know n nobody that you know we were talking earlier about how my uh, my kids you know matthew went to his first day of work and and just made me realize that like he's never seen anybody go yeah <laughs> go to a, you know put a suit on and leave the house and come back you know at 6 30 in the afternoon you know it's just you know he just thinks that you know it, i don't know if he even thinks that dad works yeah. you know it's yeah. just what he does right yeah. it becomes what you you are and what yeah. you do and so it's never a punch clock it's never yeah. a time frame you know we go out of town next week and we're going to be gone for five days to head out to a horse show and you know like so how many hours do i work a day yeah <laughs> yeah when i work until i'm done yeah. right and then when we got we're done we head back to the hotel and then we get back to the horse show the yeah. next morning to go feed and get started and you know, it's like a, how many hours? I don't know, like yeah. 14, 16. I don't yeah. know. It's, yeah. You just work until you're done. Yeah. And you, when you're in that environment, you just don't think about well, punching a clock. You don't think nobody's looking for when your break time is, you, you know? know. And that's when I retired, uh, you know, we had gotten very good at working mm -hmm. and then you got to find something to <laughs> occupy <laughs> that time. And again, waking up without a sense of purpose and, you know, not waking up and being on go yeah. every day and being on go 24 hours, really, you know, because if something happened, you know, yes, that's kind of like put some perspective that. back to it too, though. Right. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, I think that's something that I've, you know, like hit a spot in my career where I'm, you know, like, I'm not, you know, I mean, like I'm really kind of chasing some of the things my kids are doing a little bit more yeah. and not necessarily, but I, I'm like more pouring into other people yep. and stuff, but you still putting the same kind of hours in yeah. still, and I'm not looking at my clock on yeah. it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's gotta be kind of a, a bit of a change, probably gotta be a change for you, but boy, Jean, how did that? Well, she, I, <laughs> <laughs> she was done done so i'm I, sure I, I don't, but like she, is she happy to have you around that no <laughs> she's absolutely not happy to have me around she's which, pushing I'm you taking the knife class and <laughs> and all that sort of thing so anything i can do that or anything she can do to get me out of the house is yeah. probably better but you know we were very fortunate to be able to work together yeah for, you know, 30 years, over 30 years. Cause I mean, she, when we first started dating and got married, she worked at the stud farm. Wow. Really? And, yeah. Yeah. Ah. So she's been there the, 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 that's, so that's how you met her. Was that at the stud farm? Well, not at the stud farm. We actually went to the same high school. We didn't know each other. Oh yeah. Uh, really? I was three years older than her. Um, but when we got married, she was actually working in San Antonio for an advertising agency. And I said, well, why don't you come out here and work? And, uh, or I guess that was, well, that's after we were married. And, uh, so she quit her job in town and came to work and then worked for me for, huh. or with me. I shouldn't say for that's me. really funny that me. my but, Tommy was, uh, working for the San Antonio business journal. Really? Yeah, she was the executive ad sales rep for wow. them, and and I talked her into finally quitting and wow. coming to help me out. Yeah, and uh, 
Yeah, she regretted everything. Well, that's the thing. But boy, it did. You know, I think it really does. It says a lot about a marriage too, right? And you mean you got to figure it out. And you know, um, I don't know. You know, it's it's been. I think there's. You know, I think there's hard parts in anybody's marriage. But at the same time, boy, it really was. You know, it solidified our marriage too. That you know, we got to spend you know a lot of time, a lot of time together, and you know, work through this. But we had, we had a common goal. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, you got to look at the common goal and, you know, it's, uh, I couldn't have asked for a better business partner yeah, me too. and all that. And, you know, it's like you said, there again, there's days where I probably wasn't a very big fan of hers and there's <laughs> days that I'm still not a very big fan of hers, but you know, if you can persevere, uh, that says a lot because there's going to be yeah. obstacles. There's, there's no way to get around that. And there's yeah. going to be things that happen that put extra stress on that and, and, and that sort of thing. But it's, it's hard too for, you know, acknowledging like, especially on my wife's part, you know, too. And I would imagine for your, for Gene too, that um, they, they sacrifice a lot well, for the role that they take, and, and they we, don't the role, get the recognition. No, that well, that you or I, yeah, does. exactly. And uh, no, the trophies are all in my name, yeah, and whatever. But good lord, did she sacrifice? Well, a lot to get and, that and that's exactly the same. And that's where I was going to go to. And whether it's you or her, you know, you look at any other industry, and again, whether it had been Walmart that I went to work for, yeah, if. I put in the hours or you put in the hours or mm. Tommy put in the hours or Gene put in the hours at some corporate place somewhere. Mm-hmm. We'd probably be CEO of some yeah. deal because, you know, there's not many people that are as driven as I think a lot of the horse people and, yeah. uh, now, you I think know, that, their there's one. Well, and I think there's a tougher part about that too. Cause I can't, <clears throat> I mean, as much as it does uh, that we do spend, we had the opportunity to spend that much time with our wives too. I'm like, I think it would have been hard, really hard, not having spent those times with my, you know, if I was, if it was Walmart, you know, like how hard would that have put as far as a strain on your marriage, be not seeing yeah. each other for that amount yeah. of time and not having the security of knowing that, yeah. you know, where I am and what I'm doing yeah. and, you know, and, and, and then getting, you know, all the limelight and her yeah. not, you know, no, yeah. none of this, you know, completely on song yeah. on the deal too. And, you know, my wife mm. did a very good job of keeping me on the straight and narrow Mine too. over the, over the years. And, and, you know, again, even a level head, well, cause sometimes I get my head in the clouds yeah. too. Like I'm getting, you know, yeah. I wasn't too long ago. I was like, you know, I think I want to, I want to go and be a world champion. <laughs> Yeah. Whatever. You yeah. know, like the next thing. And it's like, hey, you know, like not everything is is yeah. about your next yeah, you know, accomplishment. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I know. Well, you know, but but <laughs> and even me now, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, I've been retired for eight months and I've got a two-year non-compete, but I'm thinking, what could I be doing? And, you know, could I open another practice? Could I start another Ratama? Could I do something like yeah. that after my non-compete? And she looks at me and says, you're out of your mind. I want nothing to do with it. Uh, but, you know, again, I look back and it seems like it's been a blur. And, you know, like I said, I've made as many mistakes as anybody on every 
facet, but it's just like you. Somebody has to make a decision. Yeah. It's not like I'm the. When somebody has to have the responsibility of it too. I mean, there's yeah. as much, I think that's something that, that I, when you are working and you're leading, right. A group of others yeah. who don't have the weight, you know, and haven't asked for it either, but yeah. don't have the weight on the shoulders that you've put on your shoulders. Yeah. They can't understand the stress yeah. that you're under either. Yeah. And so whenever it's easy to, it's easy when you're not in the position to bear the weight of yeah. someone else's bad decisions yeah. or someone else's problems and yeah. stuff. Like I know, <clears throat> I don't know. I know that we've had, you know, places in business between each other yeah. where, you know, one of the other vets come out and yeah. did something and did yeah. something dumb. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and at the same time, me and you, you know, we're like, um, look, yeah. everything's fine, but I know you better do something about it. And we yeah. got to do something about it. And yeah. we did. And you the know? same thing with me. I mean, there's been things that yeah. me and you that are probably dumb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, you have to work your, have to work your way out of that. Yeah. But and, I, and, but I see the, I see the weight that you're carrying around and it's yeah. not something that I, you know, I know that I know what you're doing and yeah. I know what, you know, and I can, I can relate with that. Yeah. But uh, I think a lot of times whenever it's, you know, the, on the other end where the responsibility isn't, you know, it's easy to see, you know, you know, in a fit of upset and whatever yeah. else that, you know, I mean, you know, this doesn't mean we're not human and we're not, but yeah. it's hard to see what that weight of that was. And yeah. like, especially if I can't imagine like having, you know, three clinics and, yeah. you know, people and employees yeah. and, you know, and debt up to your eyeballs yeah. and kids and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Everything. Like, oh, heck but, yeah. you know, I look back and I've had a little time to reflect and I look back and I probably, you know, had a little bit of tunnel vision. Could have had it handled it had you not. You yeah. Know, seen it. yeah. And, you know, again, the same problems I have, you know, some of them have. Yeah. And, you know, they're having a bad day too. And, yeah. And, and that sort of thing. And it could have been, but again, as, bullheaded and as, as i was is you know we're gonna get it done and you know if you're if if you're with me fine if you're not then get out of my way and i'll, yeah. I'll do it myself but you know again I, I i i don't know that i would have changed anything yeah. looking back and like i said you know i might after my non-compete i might <laughs> dive back in and and <laughs> And do something else again, because I do. I mean, I love, and I mean, when I got here today and you weren't out here yet, and I walked through the barn. Yeah. And I mean, that brings back yeah, it's great good. memories. And it, you know, it also brings back, you know, just the smell of a barn and yeah. and that sort of thing. And, and you know, there's nothing better. And, and I would, uh, you know, for me, I would be just as happy working on a $500 horse that belonged to a 10 year old girl mm -hmm. than I would that expensive horse that belongs to a millionaire, because I just get a little bit more, uh, satisfaction out of, yeah. you know, being, being able to help somebody, the underdog or whatever. But, you know, again, I, I look back on in my career and, and, gosh it's been a it's been a great great ride pretty and, cool one. Yeah, yeah yeah and the friends and you know just like me and you and a lot of other clients that i have that you know when you do this for so long you build friendships and, and, yeah yeah i think that's a it's a you know it's hard to not have you know 
a, a good group of them that are just it, that it's uh um that there is a relationship yeah. in it, you know, beyond it. You know, yeah. I was telling um I had Luca out the other day shoeing horses yeah. for me and we were talking and and he's one of those um one of those people that I I think you get to a point in your career where you start to pour into, and I've seen you do that with the other young vets and stuff like that, where, you know, you, you start pouring into some of them, you, you see them or you see the ambition and those are the ones you want to stand behind yeah. and you do it. And he's one of those, you know, one of those kids that yeah. I really, really like. And, um, and we were talking about it and I was like, yeah, you know, Jeff Beatty, you know, yeah. was my farrier yeah. for 20 years, something years, you know? And, um, and, and, and I just, at all of a sudden it hit me. It was like, you know, crazy is that like once a week i could tell you most all of jeff's old stories from you know yeah. whatever you just the things that we probably heard it more than once <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely and and uh and and never missed a lick you know yeah. was always out here for all the time and it's like wow you know like i haven't talked to him in like a year and a half yeah. and it's just that you know Oh, you know, wonder what he's doing, how yeah. he's doing. It's just, you know, yeah, you get, and and you're you're yeah. still going and you're still Life running. Gets in the way, and you know, yeah. you think I'll call him, I'll call him, yeah. I'll call him, and yeah, yeah, uh, you know, and you and you need to, and and you know, again, I don't blame the young veterinarians that want to do more in life and all that. You know, that was the path I chose. That was the only thing I knew was to work hard. Yeah, and you know, I never thought I was the best veterinarian in the world because there's plenty of other better lameness people, better colic surgeons, better everything. But I like to think while I was there that we were there for everybody and we tried to take care of everybody. And, you know, the buck stopped with me. If somebody had a problem, you know, I was the one that came to and, and, uh, uh, it, 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 it was, great and you know yeah. i think they'll do fine out there I, sure. I you know they're 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 a good group of people and and you know i think that place will be there forever and ever and ever i'm sure it will change i'm sure it has changed uh you know and not everybody has got the same thought processes that i do and and uh uh so i don't know but yeah. you know we'll... kind of it's kind of wild though it it's uh I know it's kind of weird to see back at it, look at it too, and see that, you know, like, damn, it's still going. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd, about three months, the place would crumble, but no. It's oh, still... <laughs> it will. You know, and I, and I think that about a lot of things, you know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of different ways to run a business. Uh, you know, I think you can make places extraordinary businesses, and I think you can make places ordinary businesses yeah but you know there's a lot of them that will uh you know they'll can they'll continue on the clients will continue on yeah uh you know they're going to see somebody else and uh you know you can let your ego get big and say <laughs> you know that there's no way anybody else could do what i do but you know i'm a i'm a minnow in a big pond of people yeah. that have done greater things that's than you know and... it's that's a tough balance because um ego has served me well at a lot of, a oh, lot yeah. of times yeah. and it's also got me in a lot of trouble yeah. and uh and but it's it's a it's 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 something that you can use to your advantage well, right you gotta like a, believe in yourself yeah because you if you don't to. believe in yourself Nobody else is going to. Nobody else. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this. Nobody's going to come 
give you this on a platter and nobody's mm-hmm. going to say, oh, this is going to be easy. And, you know, we talked about, you know, most of the days I went to work, I loved, but believe me, there was days when, you know, you pull up and a windstorm went by and blew everything off when we had the snowmageddon a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, the pumps all froze and nobody could get to work. And <laughs> it was me and Dr. Huffman and a veterinarian from Mexico that, you know, for three days dug you. things out and toted water and fed horses and all that sort of thing. And, you know, is that pleasant doing that? I don't know. But, you know, again, I kind of got a rush. Yeah. Out of all that. And again, I think you've got to to have that entrepreneurial vision and and that sort of thing that no matter what you got to keep going and yeah you know i i give kudos to anybody that's had a business and run a business whether it's small business or corporate or whatever for for many many years because it 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 takes its toll yeah yeah and i think it's important for the young people now too when they're coming up and they're, they're you know they're starting they're you know getting out of college or even you know starting out on their own that there's no such there's no set way to do it yeah right success looks different yeah in so so many different ways yeah. right and and nobody has really gotten to the top without struggle yeah like nobody's been successful whatever yeah. that success is i mean sometimes it's a it's winning a whatever and yeah. sometimes it's just you know being a, a good dad and yeah. and, and a yeah. guy that run a good business yeah. and you know paid his bills and yeah. did did his job yeah. and you know and was good to people yeah. on their way up yeah um you know it success can be dictated in a lot of different ways yep. but none of it has gotten on easy street no it just doesn't nobody falls backwards no and you know again i look back and there's things that i could have done different and did do different and different veterinarians mentors and that sort of thing that i probably should have listened to more done things differently and you know i i i paid for those mistakes (laughs) over the years though and and um uh, you know, it's interesting. And, and I've had a lot of young veterinarians that have come back and say, gosh, I see what you're talking about now that I've, you know, I've started my own business and it's yeah. not easy and that sort of thing. But, you know, there was, there was, uh, there's a million different ways to do things and, and yeah. getting to that, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you looked and, you know, there's been clients that I've lost over stupid little things that you know i probably could have uh done something to keep them and it's the old saying you know it 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 takes a lifetime to earn a client and only a second to lose a client and but so there's some of the things that you learn the most from like those are the ones that i know my bigger trouble my bigger mistakes like those are the ones that i like when something happened and it just like oof, that was easy kind of deal you don't remember that yeah i don't remember that um, I was talking to, uh, uh, I can't remember which, who I was talking to on it, but it was, it was such a eye opener for me is like most people that have done well and, or, you know, whether it's sports or something like that, that you won something like we remember, like I can tell you what the dirt felt like yeah. in the arena where I yeah. just fell on my face. Yeah. Like I can tell you yeah. what it tasted like. And yeah. then there's championships where I walk out like, I can't even tell you what pattern I ran. Yeah. I don't even tell you what color shirt exactly. I was wearing that day. Like I don't even remember that, but man, the big, the bigger, the failure. Oh yeah. Man. 
I mean, it's ingrained. In yeah. Me. Yeah. And it's the same thing with those clients, the ones, that, but that, that's a mistake you didn't make again. Yeah. You know, yeah. I made sure that I didn't go. Or you go. tried not to. Make <laughs> not on purpose. But yeah. But, yeah. you know, again, it's, it's like everything. I was looking back when I got ready to retire, I was looking back through some old files and I had a bunch of resumes from veterinarians over the years that I'd interviewed. Yeah. And I went through them and the majority of them, I, I couldn't tell you where they're at today, what they're doing or anything like that. I think they've just kind of fallen through the cracks. They might not even be veterinarians anymore. Yeah. But there was several in there that have gone on to be great veterinarians yeah. and that sort of thing. And, and some of them I didn't even remember I'd interviewed. Really? But when I was going through that file, I thought, why didn't I hire this person? <laughs> but, you know, who knows who why knows? I didn't that day and whether I didn't think they would fill the need at that time. And, you know, and then there's been other ones that left that I've looked back on and thought, man, I could have maybe, you know, if I'd have looked at that a little different or something mm -hmm. like that, maybe they could have had a spot here long term and that sort of thing. But yeah. again, that's. How it rolls, part man. of doing business and yeah. that's part of rolling along and yeah. and again you sit back and say gosh i could have you know could have would have should have but uh you know you get to the end of the road and, and yeah. it's, it's all behind you so mm. so interesting wait around now and see when you're going to start up your knife making, making business, business. <laughs> I don't know or what that. it is that you're gonna step I, I into. think there's too many no i think maybe a little more golf uh you know the knife making on the side uh you know i still talk i, I have a lot of people that call me and you know still ask advice on things and yeah. things like that but i don't know you know when you when you when you retire and walk out you think oh you know i'm done but then when you've done it for as long as I did it, yeah. it's hard to think that it's, it's hard to not think along the lines. Like, I think that's where, like where I'm at right now. It's not that, I don't know. It's not that I don't want to go and win another deal. Yeah. I mean it, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know that, that that's necessarily what I want to yeah. do or what, you know, yeah. so it's kind of like the, if the opportunity rises, maybe so, but I, yeah. you know, I don't know if I'm necessarily pursuing that kind of deal, yeah. but, um, but I do, I do find it super intriguing to see other people. Like I'm really enjoying the process of watching my kids start sure. on that process. Yeah. Right. And it's like my, you know, almost like, it would be cool to have like on the side, like a think tank type of deal where yeah. you see somebody or whatever business it is, because everything is applicable. It's all the yeah. same, right? Yeah. But having something where, you know, like having that group, like, you know, yeah, that, that, that you have a like, group. Yeah, yeah. A study group. It was amazing. Yeah. And having something like that to just yeah. a, a think tank to kind yeah. of like, you know, mentor when, you know, you meet the requirements of, you know, X, Y, and Z, you're somebody, yeah. you're motivated, you're doing this, you're yeah. doing that or whatever else. And it looks like whatever yeah. it looks like, you know, what, you know, having somebody to bounce those yeah. ideas off of, we kind of, we kind of, fun yeah. of just... and, you know, and there's been times when I went into that group and I was sure about a decision I would make <laughs> and everybody in the room just looked at me and <laughs> what said, are you thinking? you're out of your mind, buddy. <laughs> you need to backtrack on that. And, you know, and then the same thing with other people in, in the group. Yeah. If you sit there and say, eh, I don't know whether that's a good way to go. Uh, but that was a, a, a great, group of people and it's all 
you know, it's all learning and you got to continue to learn and yeah. continue to do something because yeah. I think if you don't do anything, uh, that's, and you know, the same with you said, you didn't know whether you want to try to do another world championship. And, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, trying to open another Rotama or something <laughs> like that, no. but I still might piddle around and do some stuff or something. Yeah. But it's, like isn't that. that kind of the cool part is like, you know, you know, all the the knowledge that you've gained over the years and doing that kind of stuff. Like, hey, I like it because, you know, be able to put it in my kids too. But, yeah. but, um, but yeah, there's, I mean, if somebody's willing to kind of, you know, use some of the, some of that, it's like, man, it's, that's, that's, yeah. that's part of the fun Yeah, is, you know, being, you know, being involved in, yeah. or, you know, having a stake in somebody yeah. else's deal and not like, you know, financial stake, but just, uh, you know, like yeah. having a little skin in the game. It's yeah. fun. It's fun to watch it. And was, when you've got the knowledge, yeah, you know, that's, that's the thing. And that was one thing about the organized veterinary medicine part that I did is it's nice to be able to give back some. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to talk to young veterinarians uh, when they'll listen and say, you know, I've made that mistake. Don't, well, but don't you, make that mistake. But you had that too. Like you saw that in between, you know, your dad and the yeah. context that he had, yeah. like all in, you know, all those other veterinarians yeah. that had that much more than with that much further ahead yeah. on, on stuff. And yeah. like, you, you know, you have to look back at some of those, look at some of those guys and know that they, you know, boy, they looked at you the same way. You well, know, you start to I see don't some know, of those. but I know, I know, <laughs> I, I took a, a lot away from, from them because <laughs> they really were. And I remember being in the middle of a colic surgery and having to stop and call Dr. Hayes. And he was, I actually had to scrub out, call him and say, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. What do I do? And of course he's two hours away yeah. and said, blah, 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 blah. Went back in there, did it, fix the horse and the horse no. did fine. So, you know, being able to have people like that, right. It's uh, invaluable and yeah. was invaluable to me. Yeah. So, part of the passing on and being used. It, it's it good is. Stuff. It is. Yeah. So that's that's part of it. So cool. I don't know. I'm gonna have to go check out some of your knives and what <laughs> They're not that impressive, believe me. But <laughs> neither are mine. Well, but they, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. they're fun to do. Yeah. It's good to work. But so, I appreciate you having me. You bet. Anytime. Right. Thanks, Thanks a lot, much. man. Uh huh. All right.